0: This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised.
1: I'm Ashley. And I'm Lacey, and this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Delaware discussing the high-profile murder of a former White House aide. Then, we'll talk about the murder of a mistress. Buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the first state. John Parsons Wheeler III, who went by Jack, was born on December 14, 1944, in Laredo, Texas. He was from a military family. In fact, when he was young, his family received a telegram that his father was missing in action in the Battle of the Bulge. What year is this? 1940. Well, no, wait. He was born in 1944, so do you know when the Battle of the Bulge was? No. (laughs) I feel like
2: I fight that every day. Stop. (laughs) That's an ongoing battle at my Uh, house.
1: Luckily, his father was later found to be alive, and Jack also had a younger brother and a younger sister. Jack was a member of the U.S. Military Academy, class of 1966. Which lost thirty of its members in the Vietnam War. Wow! Yeah. After he graduated from West Point, he was a fire control platoon leader and was based in Franklin Lakes, New Jersey, from 1966 to 1967.
2: Isn't that where Teresa Judice lives? I don't know. I think they all rural housewives of New Jersey. I think they all live in Franklin Lakes.
1: That sounds right. Yeah. It's probably well, New, New Jersey's York. not that big. Yeah. After that, he went to graduate school at Harvard Business School and spent the summer of 68 as a systems analyst for the Office of Secretary of Defense in Washington, D.C. From 1969 to 1970, he served in a non-combat position in Vietnam. And from 1970 to 71, he served on the general staff at the Pentagon. Wow. Yeah. So, he's got... He's in a lot of things. He's in a lot of
2: things. He's got a lot going on. Yeah,
1: for sure. A few years later, he attended law school at Yale University. Dang. And was eventually assistant general counsel, special counsel to the chairman, and the secretary of the Securities and Exchange Commission. So, he had many, many different titles and roles in his life, but to sum up a few more, he was a chairman of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund, senior planner for the Amtrak, Chief Executive and CEO of Mothers Against Drunk Driving, consultant to Meter Corporation, and was a presidential aide to Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, and George W. Bush. He makes me feel
0: very unaccomplished.
1: So he has done a lot in his (laughs) life. A lot of important. Like Harvard and Yale. Give me a break. Come on. So for his personal life, he was married twice. He had twins from his first marriage and two stepdaughters from his second marriage to Catherine Kleiss who he called Kathy. He also fought a decades-long battle with depression and bipolar 1 disorder. Well, he's probably stressed
2: out with all of this stuff.
1: Yeah, and he was known to be pretty good about taking his meds, but sometimes people who suffer from bipolar disorder can suffer from mania despite this. And sometimes the mania can stop them from taking their meds altogether. And Kathy did say sometimes, especially while traveling... Jack would forget to take his meds. Well, he's got enough going on. It'd be be hard enough to, I mean, I forget when I travel and I'm not a presidential admin aide.
0: (laughs) I forget to take my heartburn medicine until I'm shooting flames out. And you're like, oh, "Oh, damn it.
1: So now let's fast forward to 2010. 66-year-old Jack spent Christmas at his condo in New York City with his family. On the evening of December 28th, he returned home alone to a second home in Newcastle, Delaware, after a short trip in D.C. for work while his wife stayed at the condo in New York. At this time, Jack worked part-time for defense contractor Meir Corporation on cyber defense topics. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That night, someone attempted to set the house across the street from Jack's on fire. The next day, Jack did not go into work. He sent an email that his home was broken into and that his cell, wallet, work badge, key fob, and briefcase were missing. So his cell was missing, so he couldn't call work, so that's why I sent the email. Oddly enough, he does not contact the police to report a burglary, and he doesn't email his wife that any of this happened.
2: So his house is broken into the same night, the house across the street is – somebody yes. sets fire to mm-hmm. it. Are these
1: two – related? Perhaps. But he doesn't call the cops, well, or email. I don't know what you do when you don't have a cell phone. Flag someone down and say call the cops. But he didn't contact anyone. He also emailed his therapist that morning and said he felt dazed and boxed in a corner referring to a fight he'd had with his wife, Kathy. So she was upset with him because he left right after Christmas, basically. Traditionally, they would spend the entire week after Christmas together. Like, going to the movies and just spending time together because he was a busy guy. And I get – she was mad at him. He left basically right away for work. So, she was upset.
2: He's probably done that their entire relationship. You know, not on Christmas, but put put work before everything else.
1: And she was like – And he has a lot of important stuff going on. So – After this, we have to rely on CCTV footage and witness accounts to know what his next steps were. On December 29th, the same day he sent the emails, at 6 p.m. that day, he was seen on camera at a pharmacy near his home. So this is where he got his prescriptions filled. He was familiar with the staff and the pharmacist. He asked the pharmacist for a ride to Wilmington, Delaware. He said because he left his car there before Christmas because he went to New York and came back and didn't have his car. But kind of odd that his plan is to ask a pharmacist who's currently working. <laughs> Were they that close? I mean, I know you no, said he got his no. stuff done there. The pharmacist was, of course, working. So he said, I can't, but I'll call you a cab. Yeah. And Jack said no. He declined and he left store on foot. Yeah, he just left like, no, don't call a cab. I'm out. And the pharmacist said he looked upset. Around 40 minutes later, Jack was seen on another security camera in a Wilmington, Delaware parking garage, looking disheveled and holding one of his shoes. So this is 40 minutes have passed. He was walking with a limp, and his suit was all wrinkly and disheveled. He seemed agitated because at one point he was wagging his finger at one of the parking attendants, he was several blocks away from the parking garage where he actually left his car. So, he was in the wrong parking garage. It happens. Completely. It does. I'm I've, terrible about knowing where I I'm going. I forget where I And his wife said he was forgetful like that and couldn't always remember where he parked. Same. I take pictures or, like, write what's across <laughs> the street in my notes. So, he was several blocks away from where he actually parked. And he appeared visibly distressed. And he was repeatedly telling the attendant that his briefcase had been stolen. She kept asking why, and he wouldn't elaborate, and he assured her that he was not intoxicated. He kept saying it was stolen, but never how it was stolen. He said he wanted to warm up before paying a parking fee, but we all know his car wasn't in that garage, so... A worker offered him money to get home because he seemed so confused and disheveled, And he declined, saying, I have plenty of cash. So footage shows that he looked paranoid and kept looking over his shoulder and behind him like he's being followed. It almost
2: sounds like he's on drugs.
1: Yeah, and he kept repeating over and over, I'm not intoxicated, which is kind of odd because they weren't asking him, are you drunk? He kept saying it. Very defensive about Yeah, Yeah, he kept mentioning it. And he wasn't known to abuse drugs or alcohol either, by the way. So Jack appeared on surveillance camera in the Nemour's building in downtown Wilmington the next day on December 30th. So this building is a high-end office high-rise. And when he went there, he asked to speak to a managing partner at a law firm, but left the offices before receiving any consultation. A lawyer who was there at the time with the firm confirms. He also requested train fare. So the lawyer that
2: he asked to see did work there?
1: No, he just said I want to talk to the managing partner here. Like he, oh, didn't, he didn't say a, say a name. name. No, he just wanted to talk to someone. And he asked for train fare, which is odd because he had s- just said I have plenty of cash. So why do you need train fare? And this is 2010. Yeah. There's cabs. There's I mean, you can get around. Yeah.
2: He probably knew people there as many jobs and hats as he's worn. It's just so
1: strange. Well, he had no known connection to the building. And this is especially odd. It's believed that he spent the night before and part of the day in the basement of that building. What? Yeah. And it isn't explained why that's known, but I'm assuming the police have some sort of evidence or maybe footage proving that he was there overnight. But he left the next day wearing a black hoodie instead of the business clothes he walked in with. And he didn't walk in carrying anything at all. What? Except his shoe. (laughs) I know, it's very weird. So it's possible he grabbed it out of one of the employees' lockers in the basement. It's, It's Who knows? Who knows why he changed. So about 10 minutes later, so he leaves this building. 10 minutes later, he appears on camera in the valet section of the Hotel Dupont, walking with the hood up over his head, past like the hiding. hotel. Yes, or wearing a yeah, wearing a disguise or something. So he walks down the street, and this is the last known footage of Jack alive. What? Yes. The following morning, December thirty-first, a neighbor noticed an open window in the Wheeler's home and went inside to make sure everything was okay. The house was an absolute mess inside. There were tipped over plants, kitchen appliances out of place, spice bottles strewn across the counter and floor, broken dishes piled in the sink. And he also saw what is later determined to be Comet, you know, the Comet Uh cleaner, powder all over the floor with a single barefoot footprint in the powder. Lying on the floor covered in powder are Jack's ceremonial West Point sword and shield. Oh, wow. A copy of the book, A Long Gray Line, in which Wheeler was featured during his West Point days. That's on the table. And the neighbor called the police to report a burglary. But at this time, when they called police, they had also just found Jack. That same morning, as the neighbor discovered the potential break-in, a landfill worker at the Cherry Island Landfill... Noticed something unusual. He saw what looked like a human body falling onto a garbage heap as the trash was being dumped. What? This was the body of Jack Wheeler. His death was ruled a homicide caused by assault and blunt force trauma. His body was totally beaten up. His injuries were consistent with a severe beating. The autopsy also showed he suffered from a heart attack. And it listed the severe injuries as a collapsed lung, broken ribs, swollen lips, an external neck injury, and lacerations. So none of this could have been caused by him being put in the trash? So they don't necessarily know what injuries were caused by being in the trash because he was compacted. That's he what was I'm, compacted. Right. So like he's in there with, a, I'm sure, a million sharp objects, and I'm sure a lot of the lacerations – And broken bones are from that, but they ruled it as a homicide because they said he specifically looked like he was beaten.
2: Right. I mean, if they're compacted, though, it's hard to...
1: I know. That's exactly what I thought. So the police traced the dumpster that his body was disposed of in Newark, Delaware, more than 13 miles away from where he was last seen in Wilmington. The investigators compiled all of the CCTV footage, but of course had a million questions on how Jack ended up dead. So it turns out the day after Christmas, Jack sent longtime friend Richard Radez an email expressing concern that the U.S. wasn't sufficiently prepared for cyber warfare. What? I <laughs> know. this gets weirder and weirder. Something else that was strange was that the house across the street from the Wheelers that was under construction, you know, had been set on fire that night. No one knew who started the fire, but Jack had a major issue with this house. With the house or the people? Well, it was under construction. So it was in the process of being built. No one lived there yet. It was built on Battery Park. So he thought the site held significant cultural public value as a historic military site. So he was very against anything being built there. He even filed a lawsuit trying to prevent the construction from happening in the first place. A neighbor, Scott Morris, called the police that night saying he saw a figure methodically lighting what he looked like small balls of fire and tossing them on the floor. So, on top of all of this, Jack had also developed an interest in hacking. I know. How do you just start hacking at 66 years old? I don't know how to hack, girl. I mean, you can't Google it, can you? I don't. Well. You'll get flagged. I will. (laughs) So he may have tried to hack someone involved in the construction process. Investigators found a to-do list that Jack left behind dated December 5th, and it mentioned hacking a target associated with the construction dispute. He believed corrupt government officials in Delaware had allowed the construction to take place. So that is what is known of the case, and it's still unsolved to this day. But there are tons of theories out there. I have tons of theories, just from what I, what you've just it's told me. Bananas, because he like he has such an interesting life and a million hats. He's probably pissed a lot of people off. Well, people say he has no enemies, but I'm. How can you work in politics and have no enemies? Hey, in well, my opinion, regardless no, of what politics I, right. you're
2: involved in, I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I don't know the dude, but yeah. like you said, you've been into in the mix of so
1: many different politicians and so... And he's pissed about the construction site. So Mm -hmm. if he's hacking someone, I don't think they like him as much as... Right. I don't know. So Kathy, his wife, had a notion that maybe Jack was responsible for the arson across the street. Oh. And someone caught him or knew about it and then went after him. Or maybe they knew about his hacking and targeted him. It's definitely possible because... This is where his cell phone was found. The house across the street. (gasps) Yeah, Receipts were also found in his house that he purchased dark clothes and a ski mask the day the house was burned down. And he kept garden pest smoke bombs on hand, like the small Mm -hmm. bomb things that were seen. He even told Kathy one day he might torch the house, describing how he'd walk to the river path and take a winding route to Wilmington so that they wouldn't know how to follow him. And she just thought he was, you know, blowing smoke. She said that was irrational. She didn't think he'd really do it. And she also said she thinks that her husband was suffering a bipolar episode at the time of his death. She said, looking back, I can see it. So there were rumors flying around that he was going to blow the whistle on a dumping of chemical weapons stash, and that he was assassinated by the U.S. government before he could talk. Another theory due to his status within the government is that he was killed by the Chinese because of his knowledge of cybersecurity secrets. So a Hitman theory could be supported by the fact his briefcase was was allegedly stolen. It also could have gotten lost or maybe it wasn't stolen. Maybe
2: he left it somewhere in the middle
1: of this episode. Yeah, but my thing is Hitmen don't typically put hands on someone. No. He was beaten to death dragged or transported to a dumpster and disposed of there. A hitman typically shoots someone from a distance. They don't get too close. Yeah. They don't leave evidence. So a hit hired hitman by the government, I would think, would do a better job of staying away, like drive-by shooting. I don't know.
2: Now, if it was a hit by some
1: construction dude that probably has... S- someone in Arkansas. <laughs> <you know. laughs> they might beat him up. Yeah. Others believe that this is a case of mugging gone wrong, but it's highly unlikely because he was still wearing his Rolex, and he still had valuables on him, and he had cash. And what mugger takes the time to beat someone up, dispose of their body, and doesn't even take the cash or Rolex on their wrist? That's not that likely. And a typical mugger would leave them where they were found, especially if they were beaten. They wouldn't necessarily know they were dead or not, you know? Right. Anyway. Another theory is that rather than his body being dumped in the dumpster, he climbed in there himself because it was super cold and he wasn't wearing a coat that night and he possibly had a psychotic break. That's likely. Yeah. The only thing is that the severity of the blunt force trauma was not indicative of being tossed around a dumpster or a garbage truck. But my thing is, he was... Compacted at some point. I just don't know how they know he wasn't. That he was beaten. And that's never clarified. So some people think he could have been hit by a car before he jumped in the dumpster. In the CCTV footage, he was acting erratically and saying, I'm not drunk repeatedly. And he was super disheveled his shoe. He was holding his shoe like something was wrong with it or something. So something was off. Something happened in that 40 minutes. Or maybe he walked into traffic and got hit, got up and was like, I'm okay, I'm okay, and then kept going and then at some point made his way to the dumpster because he was either too cold out of his mind or he was having a psychotic break. Some people think he jumped from a moving car. Good lord. Then climbed into the dumpster to maybe hide from someone and was in such a bad state he succumbed to his injuries in the dumpster because he was paranoid the whole time.
2: Or he just... Passed out and then got compacted.
1: Yeah. There's so many theories. Yeah. Regardless, it's an extremely bizarre case and may never be solved. So there's an episode about this on Unsolved Mysteries, the reboot on Netflix. So season two of the reboot, episode one, and it does leave some stuff out like the heart attack. I think they just don't want to muddy the waters too much, but it's impossible for this. So the Unsolved Mysteries co-creator, Terry Muir, I didn't look up how to say that, sorry Terry, Terry (laughs) Carnation, oh my god, that would be better. They have some theories behind who didn't murder Jack Wheeler. In an interview, Terry stated that she did not believe Jack's death was a result of a random assault. She believed that because of how the body was found, that it pointed to a more personal attack. Because people who attack people or rob people, they do not go to the trouble to transport a body, put it in a dumpster, hoping, I believe, that the body would never be found, she said. So this case I've been super fascinated by. I've been reading everything I can about it, and I love an unsolved mystery. So this is just my speculation. This is my opinion. Don't come for me. I think after he burnt the house down across the street he kind, I think he was having a manic episode. And I think maybe that's why he left New York early. And his wife was upset with him. Like, why are you doing this? That's weird. And he burned down the house. And that maybe he was like, I need to make it look like something happened here. So that the police are not to me because they know I don't like the construction and then fake the burglary. Sorry, guys, we have a baby on set. So I think maybe that's why he messed up his own home to be like, okay, look, something happened here. And that's why he didn't call the cops because he didn't want to bring attention to it. Well, because it looks more likely that this whole
2: street's been chaos tonight.
1: Yeah. And I think he was doing his plan that he had mentioned to his wife, like doing a winding path around Delaware, basically, to throw people off. And I think he was still in a manic episode. I think he still thought people were following him. I don't necessarily think people actually were following him, but I think he thought people were. And I think he was trying to make sure he was off everybody's track and everything. And I do think it's possible in that 40-minute span he got into an altercation maybe because he was acting so irrationally. Maybe he got in a fight with someone on the street. Said the wrong thing. Exactly. Or, and this is my thought too, maybe he got a ride or took a cab or something and got paranoid and thought they were involved and then, jumped out of the moving car that way. And I think he probably was hiding in the dumpster.
2: Or somebody may have tried to rob him because they knew he was Yeah. Acting erratically and too too many different it's scenarios. It's wild.
1: And he was in a trash compactor at one point. So I still don't know how they could tell. But I was also reading this is not really related, but I was reading some medical journals about bipolar disorder and I happened to read that the average life expectancy of someone with bipolar 1 is 67 years old. Really? Yeah. And he was 66 at his death, which is just... He might not have even been exper- experiencing mania or whatever, but that's still wild that he had it and he was a year away from the life expectancy. Is that because they typically commit suicide or... Um, I don't know for sure, but I do know that when they're having a manic episode, they can make risky decisions. Oh, yeah. So it could have something to do with that. I read in one of the articles. I didn't write this down, but there's a correlation with heart problems too. I don't know if it's from the meds themselves or just the disorder, but I I really don't know. But that's that's a young lifespan. It seems it really like is. But yeah, that's the wild case. And if you want to watch it, it's on Netflix, season two, the new reboot, episode one. Let me know what you think. I'm going to check that out. Yeah, and there's, you can look on, the show shows the footage and stuff. It's very interesting. But anyway, let's take a break so this baby can pry it out. So what's your case about? Oh. Anders wants to know. I'm glad you
2: asked. <laughs> On June 27th, 1996, in an upscale restaurant in Philadelphia, Anne Marie Fahey met her boyfriend, who was married, to break things off. Prominent Delaware attorney Tom Capano had recently separated from his wife and he and Ann had met through work several years before and had began this affair. She was the appointment secretary for the governor of Delaware, and Tom was his head legal counselor, the deputy attorney general. She told him she wanted to end things. He was furious. After dinner, they drove to the house that he was renting since he had moved out of his marital home. He wanted to go inside and talk about things because he did not want this affair to end. A few days later, after being a no show at dinner, Anne Marie's sister met the police at Anne's apartment. No one had seen or heard from her in several days. They had called her friends and they hadn't heard from her either. Her apartment was ransacked. Her purse was on the floor with the wallet and driver's license, everything still inside. There were groceries on the counter that hadn't been put away. So there was definitely something going on that was not good. I feel like that would be a super scary feeling to Mm -hmm. come to a friend's or your sibling's house and just seeing it like that and no one had heard from them. Yeah, for sure. You know it's something terrible. Mm -mm. Anne Marie Fahey was born in Wilmington, Delaware. Her mother passed away when she was eight years old and her father became an alcoholic. She was the youngest of six children and she spent a lot of time bouncing from family member to family member in her teen years due to her father's temper and his inability to keep a job. They would have their electricity turned off, their water turned off. They didn't have a phone. It was just oh, how sad. he couldn't deal with losing his wife. And now he's left with six kids. <sighs> the older kids had moved out one by one. Went off to college, got married, and Anne was left. So she kind of...
1: Man, that's sad. Went
2: to live with whoever would take her. Yeah. She developed an eating disorder because she didn't want to take from anybody. So she just would not eat. Ugh. And she battled this her entire life. She graduated from Wesley College and took a job at the governor's office as his scheduling secretary. And that's when she met Tom. He was 16 years older than her and had been married for 24 years and had four daughters. Wow. So Tom was kind of born with a silver spoon. He was one of four brothers. The Capanos had a very prominent family in Delaware. They did real estate development and building contracts. He became a very affluent lawyer, a state prosecutor, Wilmington City attorney, Then he was legal counsel for the governor and political consultant. So he was well known in the political circles of Mm -hmm. Delaware. So detectives show up at the apartment and they do not think she left on her own. There was a packet of letters from a man named Tom Capano and her sister had never heard of him. The police officers knew exactly who he was, though. Like I said, he was very prominent in politics so he's close to state senators state representatives and was a very influential man they found her diary and the last entry she talks about breaking things off with him and how he had become very controlling and was very insecure so they go over to tom's rental this is like 4 a.m he confirms their affair and tells them it has been over for a while, but we did remain close friends. I just had dinner with her a few days ago. He said, I gave her a gift and some groceries. He said she was a loose cannon and often threatened suicide. That her mood was kind of hit or miss. Which hmm. makes me go kind of eye He's painting her to yeah. be... Mm-mm.
1: classic man says yeah. his girlfriend's crazy
2: yeah he's kind of her to be yeah. she was she was off her rocker yeah,
1: so it's hard to believe
2: he told them he knew she was off work on friday so she probably went away for the weekend so just give it till monday on monday there's still no sign so the neighbors were questioned they hadn't seen anything her bank account and credit cards show no activity They go into Philadelphia and question the waitress from the restaurant, and she says the date was not good. She remembered waiting on him. She said Anne was very quiet. She barely ate. Anne Marie's friends were interviewed, and they told the police all about the affair. She had met him three years ago when she was 27, that he spoiled her and bought her expensive gifts. He would take her on trips and to dinner, out of town to keep from being seen, and his wife finding out. She had kept it from her family because she was ashamed that he was married, which is why her sister didn't know. She did eventually tell her friends that he had become very controlling and she couldn't trust him, Mm. that he was manipulative and often angry. He eventually did leave his wife so they could be together, but at this point, it was too late. Wow. And was done. She had started seeing someone else that she could be seen in public with, that their relationship could be out in the open. And she wanted to break things off, and he said no. He didn't want things to end. Mm. But Tom wouldn't stop. He started stalking her, and she told her friends she was scared of him. He could not handle being told no. No. He was not used to it. No one had ever told him no. So the FBI offered their help. Wow. Yes. Because who she worked for. Yeah. Yeah. It would be nice if we could get that. Yeah. For every missing woman. (laughs) For sure. So they pull phone records and credit cards belonging to both Anne-Marie and Tom, and Tom show a $300 wallpaper warehouse charge just two days after Anne disappeared. They call the place, and when they answer, it's a carpet place. So they Mm. think, oh man, he has rolled her up in some carpet and got rid of her. They just thought he may have done it. They didn't have any probable cause to get a search warrant or arrest him. They interviewed his housekeeper, and she said she just cleaned the house a few days before Anne had disappeared. And then the next week, he canceled her. Mm -hmm. When she came back a few weeks later, there was a new rug and two new chairs. So the rug and the love seat that had originally been in the living room was gone and had been replaced. So now they have probable cause. Yeah. So on July 31st, 1996, a search warrant is issued and the home is searched. Two chairs and carpet are removed. The floors are clean, but on the baseboard, there are two dried spots of what appears to be blood. This is sent to D.C. to be tested, but they don't have her DNA and her parents are dead. So going through her date book, they see that she has recently given blood. So they contact the donation center to get a sample. It has been sent to be spun down to separate the plasma. So they're having to wait to see if they can get it it. enough of it Hmm. back to test it for her DNA. So in the meantime, Tom and his very prominent family are living their best life. They're irritated and in shock that he would even be questioned. He would have never done anything like this. Anyone who knew him thought this was bullshit. So he's just, wow, going on with his life like she's missing and he just doesn't have a care in the world. Sean Taylor, a project manager for Louis Capagno, who is one of Tom's brothers. So he works for his development company and he calls one of the FBI agents working on Ann's case. He asked if they would meet him somewhere privately because he had some information, but it could not get back to the Capanos that he's the one that told them. He said the day after Anne Marie was reported missing, he was ordered to have four dumpsters on the property disposed of. This was very expensive and these dumpsters were not full. So they pull the records from the construction site and it doesn't show that this ever happened. Hmm. So they didn't they dumped them but they didn't keep any records showing right. that they were dumped. The FBI goes to the dump site and search for anything that could trace Tom to Ann or Ann's body or anything. So after four days, they have nothing. There's nothing found. So eight weeks have gone by. There's no physical evidence. There's no crime scene. There's no witnesses. There's no body, no murder weapon. Finally, on September the 6th, they get DNA from the blood bank. That where Anne had donated before she died. And it is a match to the blood found at his house on the baseboard. They have evidence against Tom, but they need more. And his phone records show that he had spoke to a woman named Debbie McIntyre. So they spoke the day after Anne disappeared. So they contact her. And turns out she's also having an affair with Tom. What? Yes.
1: And oh my gosh! How many affairs can this guy have? Had been for over twelve years.
2: So the same oh my time gosh. he's having the affair with Anne, he's also having the affair with this woman, and he's married.
1: How do you have time? First of all, Girl, I really I don't understand. Three
2: women and four kids, and you're an attorney for the governor. Wow. They also find out that Tom's brother Jerry owned a boat that he had recently sold.
1: Hold on, it's Tom and Jerry brothers. Tom
2: and Jerry. <laughs> okay. And, Sorry. and his other brother Mighty Mouse. Lewis. Oh, okay, Lewis.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just I just, Tom it didn't occur.
2: To, it didn't occur to me until you oh just said God. that that it was Tom and Jerry.
1: Sylvester and Tweety.
2: Exactly. Those okay. are the other two. Sorry. Continue. So he had a boat. And it, he had just sold it, not a good look, oh, gosh, he's replaced everything, so they track it down to a local man and they scour it for evidence, but no dice. He did say when he bought it, there were no anchors, probably because something was tied, to something it? was tied to them, and they are in the bottom of the ocean mm-hmm. but they still have to have more evidence mm-hmm. he He's an attorney. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. He'll
1: wiggle his way out. Yeah. Of
2: they're me. like, we have yeah. to have this locked tight. So they set up an undercover sting operation to watch Tom's brother, Jerry, for over 11 months. Holy crap. Yes. Eventually, his home gets raided by the ATF and FBI because they're trying to get anything they can use as leverage for him to go against his brother. You can't have drugs and guns in the same house, and they find both. Hmm. He is offered immunity if he testifies against his brother. They don't think this Jerry murdered Anne, but they do think that he helped Tom dispose of her body. Mm. And he has a wife and kids. So they're like, you scratch our back. We'll yeah. keep you safe. So it's been a year and a half since Anne's been missing. Jerry agrees to help them and he tells them everything. He said it began a year before the murder in 1996. He said Tom came to him and told him he was being extorted and his children were being threatened. He asked his brother to get him $8,000 to help pay off the extortionist. He also asked for a gun and said, I may need your help later to dispose of the person who is doing this to me. Nothing else was said until June a bit later, he returned the gun and said he didn't need it after all. Nothing else was said until June when Tom showed up to his house very upset. He asked him if he could use his boat. Jerry said, I don't want any part of this. I have children and you're not using my boat. But Tom gave him the guilt trip of, I don't have anybody else. You're my brother. So Jerry agreed to meet him and help him dispose of a body. Oh. He asked him to help load a very heavy cooler. He believed the body of the extortionist was inside, but he never opened it. There was a rug in the back of the truck, and he told Tom, that will not sink, so do not bring that. Mm. At the dock, they load the cooler in broad daylight onto Jerry's boat, the summer wind at Stone Harbor in New Jersey. They drove out 60 miles into the Atlantic Ocean. So the water's super deep. They throw the cooler over, but guess what? It floats. So Tom shoots at it in an attempt to sink it, but that doesn't work. So he gets the cooler, pulls it back on board. Tom pulls the body out and wraps it in the anchors from Jerry's boat. Mm -hmm. So while this is happening... Jerry goes up to the front of the boat and does not look. He tells Tom, "I don't want to see. I don't want wanna, yeah. any I don't want to know anything." So they drive back towards the shore and Tom breaks the cooler into pieces and throws it overboard. There was more evidence that needed to be disposed of, like the couch mm. and the rug that was still back at Jerry's. He said there was a basketball-sized blood stain on the couch. <laughs> oh man. So he cut it out cut that stain of bloody cloth out, and they throw the couch and rug into their other brother's dumpster at his construction site. Lewis. And then call him to have him dispose of the dumpsters.
1: Did he know why?
2: No. He's just... Not that... I I can imagine,
1: though, they were like, don't ask questions.
2: And he was probably like, no problem. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Yeah. So the FBI keeps surveillance on Tom to make sure he doesn't kill his brothers. They catch him loading a suitcase in his truck and heading to the airport, and they stop him on the grounds of obstruction of justice. He's taken into custody. During this time, someone, because it's on the news. Yeah. So it's being shown on the news. Somebody calls the FBI and tells them, hey, I found a piece of a cooler floating with bullet holes in it. Do you want it to look at? It's the cooler. It matches the one that Tom bought according to the registration number and his credit card receipts. Wow. They find out that Tom's other mistress had bought a handgun a few weeks before Ann had went missing, and she tells them, Tom knew I had this gun. So in October of 1998, the 12-week trial begins, and Tom admits to disposing of Ann's body and asking his brother to empty the dumpster's. He said after dinner they had went back to his house and had made up but then Debbie showed up with her gun and she's the one that shot Ann. For real? Yes. Yes. He said he was trying to protect Debbie so he took wow. he disposed of her body. He said that he um had to protect her. He loved her. State says this is a lie. That he forced Anne Marie into his house, took out the gun and shot her in cold blood, and then stuffed her in the cooler. Mm-hmm. I watched a couple different shows about this and listened to a couple different podcasts. And on several of them, the jury, one of the girls who was about the same size as Anne, they had a cooler when they were deliberating uh-huh. and for her so she could get into it just yeah. to see if she would even fit. And She was a couple inches shorter, but about the same weight, and they could not get the lid closed. Hmm. So, they're like, did he have to break something of hers to get her to fit for the lid to close or something worse? Yeah. So, they did deliberate for three days, and the jury convicted Tom Capano of first-degree murder. He is sentenced to the gas chamber. First time in Delaware history that someone had been found guilty without a murder weapon or a body. And death. The gas chamber. So the case was brought back up in 2006 when Capano's death sentence was overturned and he was sentenced to life. I was
1: about to say that seems like an easy case to overturn. Yeah. Yeah. But he died of a heart attack
2: on September 19th, 2011 at 61. At Vaughn Correctional Center near Smyrna, where he was serving his life sentence, and Anne-Marie's body has never been found. Wow. Yeah. We see this stuff a lot. I feel like men in positions of power trying to exert Mm -hmm. absolute control over women. Mm -hmm. Look at, I mean, I hate to bring it up, but Chandra Levy. Yeah. You know, she had that affair with, what's his name, Gary Condit. Who was a married man, and at first when she went missing, he denied the whole Mm -hmm. affair. He was a U.S. representative. He was not a suspect, but her parents and a lot of other people thought and still do think that he was being super evasive and knows more than he's saying. I mean, people thought this whole thing about Marilyn and JFK or Bobby and Marilyn. I I don't know. They can get
1: away with more. They probably do. <laughs>
2: and here's the thing. It's always seems to be when these stories and things come out, it's either they're trying to break it off with the yeah. married man and they're furious about it, or they threaten to tell. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? It's like they, oh, now you realize you
1: have a lot to lose? Ugh, for real. Like, what? Just ugh, don't get involved in the first place. You already have someone. You're having an affair. with. Girl, do you need a, another one? Clearly, three's companies like collecting
2: affairs. Good grief! Also, How don't do you kill me. That? I'm not gonna tell. <laughs> Just don't kill me. Don't kill me
1: for real. Oh, oh
2: Lord, it's awful. It's terrible. Terrible. Yeah, her body's never been found, which is oh, so, so. I mean, it, it, of course, it wouldn't be. So but two
1: unsolved Delaware mysteries. I'm sure there's many more. But with, with, with such a political small, ties, state. It's yeah. very.
2: Yeah, I guess. Don't fuck around in Delaware.
1: I forget how close it is to D.C.
2: Yeah. But it's just a little hop, skip, and jump. Mm-mm. Nope, 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 nope. I have a little um, true crime headline thing. Oh, okay. The uh, Oklahoma judge who was caught on camera texting, remember, in scrolling Facebook mm-hmm. repeatedly yeah. during that murder trial? Yeah. She has resigned.
1: Wow. Yes,
2: yes. So. Um there was a video published of this Judge Tracy Soderstrom using her phone for minutes at a time during jury selection opening statements and key testimony testimony during the trial of a man who was accused of and convicted of manslaughter for beating a two year old child oh. to death um and she uh has released a statement. Announcing her resignation, mm. and she says, there were some things that I did inappropriately. I text during the trial. It doesn't matter whether it was a traffic case or whether it was a divorce case or first-degree murder. I text during the trial, and that was inappropriate. After the investigation into her phone usage by the state counsel on judicial complaints, the chief justice of the Oklahoma Supreme Court filed the petition in October suggesting her removal. According to the Chief Justice, she sent more than five hundred texts to the court bailiff during the trial.
1: just so many that's a lot Lord, how are you paying attention to any you couldn't part of, anything. I mean you couldn't
2: have been like I don't even have like this that's kind of so crazy many. stressful of a job, but I get busy and yeah. I there are days that I won't text anybody back at all or maybe send four throughout mm-hmm. eight hours because I'm busy I'm
1: working. Was her head just down the whole time?
2: <sighs> so, the text also included uh, de- demeaning remarks about the prosecutor, and she accused the victim's mother of lying. It alleged that she also, um, during these texts, that the bailiff made crass remarks about the prosecutor's genitalia. Oh, yeah, I
1: remember and that. And she
2: responded with the laughing emoji. Mm. The pattern of conduct demonstrates... Respondent's gross negligence of duty, gross partiality, and oppression. The conduct further demonstrates the respondent's lack of temperament to serve as a judge. And I don't disagree with any of that. So how – first of all, you know she shit when that came out. But
1: but you know those cameras are there. That's your court. That's what I think. I I don't know. I don't know how – I don't know. I don't know. Anyways – I need to make a formal apology. Oh, God. To Searcy, Arkansas. <laughs> I was like, what did you do? Uh, so, in the Indiana episode, I said to something you said, What in the Searcy, Arkansas? I have no idea why that town popped in my head. We don't <laughs> live there or near there, but a friend of ours was in a drive through in Searcy, Arkansas while they were listening. ...to that episode and messaged us that's, saying, triggered...
2: <laughs> that's hilarious. ...it cracked me up. You're like, whoops. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, Cersei. What's new with you? Um, to, well, today's the first day of Lent.
1: Yep. Valentine's Day and Lent is it's, when we're recording. Well, ash Wednesday. I don't see your Ash.
2: I did not go to any
1: Catholic oh, church today.
2: Okay. Max had a Valentine's Day party, so I mm-hmm. went. went to that instead... I haven't decided what I want to give up yet. Hmm. I'm. I'm thinking it's, it's gotta got to be hard.
1: I mean, are there some years you just give up the same thing? Because I mean, like, I mean, I'm thinking
2: I may give up chips. Chips, which that would be very hard for me. It's super I'm a hard Dorito for me. Girl. I've had chips three times today. Ugh. I do love a chip or bread. I love a bread. I'm yeah. not going to tell you how many pieces of toast I Are had for sure breakfast. Are you sure you're
1: willing? Are you going to eat in a Mexican uh, restaurant for months?
2: I gave up diet coke one year and what? that was hard. No. I've given up fast food. I've given up fried food. Mm. I'm trying to think I I gave up social media one year. Mm. You're supposed to yeah. challenge yourself. Yeah. So, uh stay tuned. I'll tell y'all I guess next week. Yeah. <laughs> what I decide, but um mm-hmm. Maybe I should do something instead of.
1: I've heard of that. Instead of giving up something, taking on something and doing something good or a good habit or a good yes thing or whatever.
2: Well, I'll tell you this Max and I were talking last night all about while we were making his Valentine's and stuff that tomorrow is Valentine's mm-hmm. Day and it's also Ash Wednesday. And he's like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. So we had a little Catholic corner oh, at the kitchen great. table. Love it. And so I. Was trying to explain to him what Lent means and you know, mm-hmm. you're supposed to give something up. And really Catholics don't kids don't usually participate in yeah. that. Yeah. Um till they're about 13. I guess it depends on your kid. Teenager, college age, yeah. yeah. But Max wanted to do it this year. So oh. I was like, do you want to give something up? Do you want to do you want to maybe do something mm-hmm. for the next forty days? And he decided that he was going to read two pages out of his Bible every night. Wow. And then he asked me to take him to a Baptist church. Oh, my. (laughs) I'm like, no, dude, we're Catholic. How funny. This is what we are. (laughs) But, I mean, I'll take him. Exploring. He's exploring his religion, and I will facilitate however I can. What whatever he wants to do.
1: So that's funny. I mean, it's just that he said, "Let's go." to Baptist Well, he
2: church. he asked to go to church with a friend of his. Uh, yeah, I'm assuming. And he honestly. asked, "Well, is this is this kid Catholic?" And I'm like, "No, they're Baptist." He's like, "Well, we can still go there." I'm like, "Yes, we can." Yeah, it's yeah. I've been to some. So during the Super Bowl, which we'll talk about in a second, I was going to bring that up. I saw an ad for. This app called Hallow app. It is Mark Wahlberg. You know he's a big Catholic. All the Wahlbergs are, and it's like a an app that you can do. Like they have prayers for Lent every day, wow. and and different prayers that you can listen to, and and all these things. So I was like, maybe I will download this app and listen to these during Lent mm-hmm. and get my life together. Oh, man. So, I download the app. So, Max goes to bed last night. We're laying there. He's asleep. Of course, he's sleeping with me. Wendy's oh. at my feet. I can't move. So, I can't reach the remote to turn on the TV. And I'm like, okay, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to listen to one of their little bedtime prayers that so they do. is it them? Well, it's a priest okay. giving the prayer. So, but there is, I so think... So,
1: there was this... Uh- <laughs>
2: I think there are some prayers that he does, but okay. I haven't listened. Today's just the first day of Lent. So I haven't.
1: Got it. Got so, it. I was, There's, yeah. Yeah,
2: so I was listening to the little bedtime prayer that uh-huh. they had last night and it's eight minutes and it's talking all about, you know, it's starting and about your day and take this time to reflect on your day to... Talk about, you know, think about the things that you would like to change Mm -hmm. or you could change what you would do differently. And then we'll pray, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it's going on and I'm doing all the things they're saying. I'm laying there in the dark and listening to this man's voice. And Wendy's asleep and Max is asleep. And there's a hum of the ceiling fan. So he starts his little prayer. And about four minutes in, it occurs to me, his voice is super creepy, like this priest. Mm -hmm. And... It almost scares me. It almost sounds very like I've, I've heard it in a scary movie where a priest is coming mm-hmm. in to, like, exercise a demon or something. And I had to turn it off. Like, I got the oh. heebie-jeebies. There was three minutes left. I was like, I can't do it. So then I'm laying there like, well, now I feel bad for turning off the prayer and also sufficiently scared. So I grab my phone again
1: and get on Team you. <laughs> And ordered me some more hair. (laughs) That reminds me of the Super Bowl because I think the most controversial thing is they had three commercials and it's wait, what is it? Tamu? Tamu?
2: I I already
1: forgot. I had I'm never gonna say that. I had
2: probably five people text me
1: and say You've been saying it wrong. I'm never gonna say that. I'm Timu. Timu. Temu Temu. Once I I I pronounce something wrong too long, I can't stop. That's why I say Amarillo, guys.
2: How did you feel about the Super Bowl?
1: It's the first game I've ever watched, like legitimately paid attention to. And I was too anxious. Did you know anything that was going on? Yeah. I mean. No. I No, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in the room when Samuels watched sports for years and years and years. So I knew the gist and the lines on the screen. Yeah, I get the gist of it. But um, I was so anxious. It was a good game. It was. It was very close. I was just like, I don't know why y'all like football. It stresses me out. I can't do this. Wait till he plays. Then you're really going to be stressed out. I was so stressed out. Well,
0: did you have a favorite commercial?
1: I did. And? The Michael Sarah commercial. Which one was that? V. Oh, yes. Well, it's funny because he actually went around in real life before the Super Bowl telling people that, like, That's what his, that's that's, his company. That's his company. So he set it up in real life for people too, which I thought was pretty funny. What was your favorite?
0: The movie previews.
1: Oh, okay. Planet of the Apes. Uh, Okay. I didn't see that preview.
0: I like all the Planet of the Apes. Did you see The Quiet Place Day One? Yes. That looks awesome.
1: I didn't know what it was at first. I was like, Is this a new... Zombie movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought the same thing. And it's that actress from Us, I think? Yeah. It looks freaky. I can't wait. When did it say it was going to come out? I don't remember. I'm excited. I had a few
0: uh, football cocktails, so I don't remember. But I mentioned it, I think, on last week's episode that I had seen a little snippet of. So it must have been like, not a trailer, but... Like a little mm-hmm. picture on Instagram or something that it was coming up. Yeah. Anyways, I'm excited about that. So am I. Um, let's see. I'm just doing housekeeping over here. Okay. Well, first of all, I got a DM from Kyle D and it's his birthday. Oh, well, his awesome. His birthday was last Saturday.
1: Happy belated so birthday, So I told him Kyle. we'd give
0: him a shout out. So happy birthday to you. And speaking of birthdays, well, adjacent – King cakes. Did you get one? I did not. We
1: got one at work and got I the got baby? the baby. So what does that mean? Good luck?
0: It means good luck and prosperity. Okay. Also, I have to buy the cake next year. Oh. <laughs> yeah, whoever gets the baby has to buy the cake next oh, okay. year. Okay. So we'll see how this plays out if I'm if mm. I'm lucky in something. Okay. Not babies, <laughs> but something <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's kind of an odd thing to well, put
0: in a cake. It symbolizes the baby Jesus.
1: Oh, I did yes. not know that. Yes. I'm learning a lot.
0: So, Coke on the Wiener case that you covered.
1: Oh, gosh. On the
0: Wacky. Yeah. You got multiple messages about that. I did. I got multiple, too. So, y'all will have to listen to our wacky Wednesday this week. Yeah.
1: I was going to read a couple of things as well. Same. Me They'll too. They'll probably continue to come they're, in. They're all anonymous. Oh so my God. People do. Yeah. We're not reading out <laughs> any names for those. So don't feel Everyone like. Everyone that dm does their heart just stopped. <laughs> well, someone DM'd me and used, I'll have to, I'll explain it later, but she was afraid she would get flagged by the oh. things she was saying. So she used different <laughs> phrases. A couple of mine you- <laughs> used
0: different phrases, too. They didn't. They weren't <laughs> vulgar about it. I'm but, not going to rat you out. But you can get the gist of what they're talking Just about. Just don't tell me about murder, okay? So funny. It was. You guys will have to listen to it. Obviously, like I said, they will be anonymous. And our February patreons coming up.
1: Yes. We posted a poll on our Patreon Facebook page. I think it was unanimous for medical mysteries.
0: Well, let me tell you as my ice jiggles for my drink. I am probably the most excited about this Patreon than oh. any of them that we have done. So you already know what you're doing? I already know what I'm doing. I've already started oh on it. Oh, my God. I have no idea. It's going to be so long. I know some people That's think fine. I'm the loud one. Well, guess what? <laughs> Turn your radio down because I'm coming in hot Just with this.
1: disgruntled reviewer. This is...
0: This is going to be my favorite one. I'm excited. Um, I'm
1: stumped, honestly. So it's,
0: Mine's going to be so long, and I open so many doors and go down so many rabbit holes with this, everyone's head's going to blow off.
1: Mm, okay.
0: So if you're not a patron, make sure you join. Where yeah. can they join, Lacey?
1: Patreon.com slash United States of Murder. It's also in our show notes. You can also go to our social media, and we have that link. Join
0: it, because let me tell you. I'm going to rage over this topic. I don't even want to tell you because I want your reaction in real time. Over
1: this topic.
0: Medical mysteries. Who knew? Who knew? It's it, well, and it's also because I talk about so many things that are adjacent to
1: this this
0: medical condition.
1: Is this multiple personality? This It is not. Okay, I'm like It is
0: something I never heard of, and I like weird shit, and I look up weird shit typically
1: every day you
0: do. nope you're not gonna guess it
1: <sighs> but that's a good one i'm gonna keep that in my head
0: yeah put a pin <laughs> in yours this is crazy
1: okay I, now i'm really interested so patreon okay
0: patreon is coming up and next week we are in wyoming yeah so that's fun do not have a topic yet
1: or a case you do i haven't written anything but i have it oh i have no idea that's the only thing i can do is scroll my phone during the day <laughs> like i can't be on my computer i can't do anything can't, you, can't I have shower to hold a baby i'm just but my phone i can scroll you're gonna and get look cases. oh i am for sure yeah. yeah i am
0: and we are working on some new t-shirt designs we are so We're gonna s- try
1: to pump some out so
0: stay tuned for that um And we think this time they're going to feature, like, quotes that we have said.
1: Yeah. And if you have any favorite things or any ideas, you can always DM us and we will consider it. Yeah. Worth a shot. We're always open to new ideas.
0: Absolutely. But that's it. That's all I
1: got. Well, I actually watched a lot of movies this week. What? Shockingly. So, I watched High Tension, the... French film you were talking about last week. And? And you mentioned it had a twist. I'm not going to give anything away. But as I was watching it, I was like, it's kind of straightforward. Like, what is the twist going to be? And when it happens, I was like, wow. Wasn't were expecting Were you so that. confused? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to say any. I'll tell you after we record. So, but anyway, I was like, okay, that is that is a big twist. Very weird, but good.
0: I still didn't understand it.
1: We'll the twist. To, we'll have to talk about it afterwards. But oh, it for was sure. very
0: weird. Because I'm texting Cody and I'm going, yeah. okay, now wait.
1: Yeah. I feel like there's some I don't know. I maybe I need to rewatch it and read about no, it. No,
0: because it's the same. I it's watched it same. again and it's the oh, same. Oh, for real. For
1: real. It's the same. Well, I started up. I started looking up underrated horror movies uh-huh, online, uh-huh. and one that was on a lot of lists was Lake Mungo.
0: Never heard of it.
1: So it's on Freebie, which is free, and like you know Tubi, free with ads. I like Freebie and Tubi. Yeah. So it starts off pretty boring. It's mockumentary style. They're kind of mm-hmm. trying to make it look like the death of their daughter, kind of making it look like a normal mockumentary type thing. Yeah. And then there's found footage, and then things start getting really weird, and it picks up. It wasn't that scary, in my opinion, but it was a creepy ghost movie, kind of. And I would recommend watching it at night instead. Then I watched Still and Quiet on Netflix. This had really good reviews on Metacritic, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to give it a try. I didn't even look up what the plot was. I was just like, it has a good rating. I'm going to watch it. Had never heard about it. It starts off semi-normal. A small group of white women are having some kind of club meeting. It's very vague in the beginning. And then it kind of starts panning out in the room. And you realize what the meeting is about. And it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse. What is it about? I'm just going to say race is a big topic on it. Oh, Jesus. But it's like I had to fast forward through parts of it because it was so... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. hard to watch i would not recommend it Mm -mm. it was awful i'm like why is this rated so high horrible realistic but Mm. i'll have to again tell you about it afterwards because i'm not giving anything away but i don't recommend it no thank you (laughs) i watched yeah three horror movies
0: i watched uh mafia mama what is that (laughs) it's got tony Collette in it oh okay it's a comedy huh um she is italian and her grandfather dies who she's not had anything to do with because he lives in italy and she lives here and so she gets called and has to go over there she doesn't know Mm -hmm. so it's one of those where it's like funny people are shooting at him she's running and she's like yeah i take yoga what's going on and she turns out to be like i like a mafia boss it's really good Hmm. so i'll have to
1: check that out
0: Look at you watching bad, scary movies and me watching comedies. What is this podcast oh, no. turning I, into?
1: Finally, I'm not – yeah. I'll have to watch more. I really like underrated ones that are still rated well, but the one I watched, I was like, no, this no, is boy, not no. it. And I even like went in there and put the thumbs down. I'm like, do not recommend more things like this, please. <laughs> you
0: rated it.
1: Because Netflix gives yeah. you recommendations, so I'm like, no. no. I cannot have recommendations – about this topic. Ugh. But Samuel and I, you know, we love watching trash sometimes mm-hmm. together. We just finished The Trust on Netflix. Mm-mm.
0: Is it a reality show? It's a
1: reality show.
0: Reality is my housewives and that's it.
1: I love just those ridiculous, I don't know, Netflix-based shows. And there's a new Love is Blind. Mhm. And I'm sure we are going to binge that this weekend.
0: I saw that. And I'm excited. I want to binge that too. Yeah.
1: I love my trash. Well. I guess that's it until Wyoming. Until wacky. Oh, yeah. That too. (laughs) That too. Bye.
0: Bye.